0: You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com
1: for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
2: To left center, deep, gone, Brewers lead it. And a swing and a miss, he struck him out. Down the line, and that's the ball game.
1: Hey, Brewers fans. It is episode 11 of Brewers Unfiltered. Sophia Minert joined by Adam McAlvey and Tim Dillard. And guys, let's just pulse check. How are we all doing? How are we all feeling as we get episode 11 underway?
0: I feel great because, uh, because of travel. I was not there Monday night. So Sophia, you hit the ground and went straight to work again. Tim is always working. And I was... Uh, My mom got an e-bike, so I had a family bike ride.
1: (laughs) That's fun in the
0: streets, the mean streets of New Berlin, with uh, with my family, (laughs) like a biker gang. Yeah, we were the New Berlin version of a biker gang. Yeah,
1: (laughs) (laughs) I mean that could be a future podcast episode.
0: (laughs) The uh, from the bikes.
1: Yeah. Or you know we we go on a on a podcast bike ride.
0: Oh, I'd maybe people I'm are down. listening
1: to this while they're on a bike ride.
0: Uh, hopefully, with only one earpiece in, though, so they can hear.
1: Correct. <laughs> right. Trains
0: coming. We encourage
1: whatnot. we encourage safety here on Brewers Unfiltered. So <laughs> listen to us, but please listen safely. Um, but we we do have a lot to talk about here as we get this week underway. And the Brewers are are back home after a tough road trip. St. Louis dropped the series there. And then in Tampa Bay against the Rays, the best team in baseball, um, and definitely the best team that the Brewers have seen up until this point, dropped the series there as well. And some tough news came out of that road trip. Wade Miley had to leave his start Tuesday night in the second inning. It's a muscle strain for him. He's expected to miss about six to eight weeks tentatively, and then the news yesterday Adam while you were biking is that Eric Lauer has joined him on the IL now with a right shoulder injury. So that's his non-throwing shoulder. So guys just kind of your assessment of what kind of the, what this means for the team and and for the rotation as they're now down a couple of arms.
3: They're they they need a a remedy for this. I mean, you go back Ashby, Woodruff, Miley, Lauer and it, you know, they do have Colin Ray, they've used Jason Junk. They're they're trying to look for somebody. You know, maybe it's Bryce Wilson coming out of the bullpen. But they need some people to eat innings and quality innings. And if they're gonna make a serious run, I think they're still atop the NL Central. Honestly, you this may be the time you start looking for an arm. Go out around the league, find a team that's willing to deal, a guy that's, you know, puts the ball in the ground. With this kind of defense right now, they could get away with they don't have to go find a premier guy that strikes out 10 every time they can go find a guy that gets the ball on the ground let the defense play and can go six or seven innings and anyway that's just what I would say as of this point if it was just a couple of guys um, that's one thing but my goodness you're you're talking about four guys that were going to be the meat you know of this rotation so I don't know maybe it's maybe there's a couple of guys in AAA to look forward to but um, I think right now I think they need to find somebody around the league.
0: Well, Tim, I, I love that you talked about sort of the defense being connected to this because I would I think this connectedness of the roster is important to think about here. Um, I saw some, you know, look, social media is typically dark, but some some people's reaction to the Lauer news yesterday was like, oh, you know, whatever, he's, he's not been pitching well. And he's not been pitching well. <clears throat> but this stuff is connected. Like Eric Lauer is connected to Corbin Burns and Freddie Peralta in that the innings that you get um, from these guys and how it impacts the usage of the bullpen impacts decisions that are made with your other starters. And those the things are connected. So the, the fact that they're down so many guys all at once hurts everybody. And it is definitely, I think, at a crisis point in terms of just the number of losses that they've suffered. And the Brewers are not the only team, and Craig Council said this in Tampa, like having this woe is us mentality is not doesn't do you any good. And it also doesn't gain you any sympathy because every team is dealing with significant issues, whether it's injuries or performance or whatever it is. Um, so the thing that brewers have going for them is that they play in a division where nobody's like running away and that is going to help them kind of stay in this while they try to figure this out. But it is at the point now where it, it, they're, even if it's the answer is Bryce Wilson in my newsletter that comes out today, I sort of looked at some of the different options that they have. Like let's say it's in house and it's Bryce Wilson, you're still going to have to dip again into the minors uh, for somebody else for the pen. So it's at the point now where you're dipping further into this depth. And this was a team built on the idea of depth, a, a team in the Brewers like strata of you know payroll, the way they build their club, depth is is what they do. Um, that's what they try to do really well. And they thought they had all these starting pitchers, and now here we are, um, seven weeks or so in, and and they're at the end of that depth.
1: Yeah, I mean, as we're sitting here today on Tuesday morning, they are th- three games above five they They're even with the Pirates at the top of the division. Um, they've gone 5-5 five and five over their last 10, kind of despite all of this. So it's like they're kind of just trying to tread water here in May, it feels like, to just kind of stay where they are, right? Stay above 500. They always talk about just trying to win series. Um so kind of just as it stands today, they've got Colin Ray starting, so he's back up. This will be his seventh start. He's starting the second game here against the Astros. And then Adrian Hauser, I think like his return now and the six scoreless innings that he put in against Tampa, I think is a huge place for him to continue to build off of against Easily probably one of the best lineups in the league. So um, and then Thursday, you know, that's going to be an open spot that they're going to have to fill. So that's where they may get creative, like to, to your point about is it a Jansen junk opener? Is it a Bryce Wilson opener? Um, but I agree, Adam, all of these pieces are connected. So it's like when you look at the kind of in-house options right now, just as as we know them, you know, Corbin Burns made an interesting comment last night after the game. Like you can't put extra pressure on yourself. Like he said, I can only take the ball every five days. Freddie can only take the ball every five days. So I think they're just that's kind of the mentality that this group is trying to have right now. Is like just try to do your job and do it as best as you can.
3: Yeah, it's 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 just tough when you start looking around and you're going, okay, they need six out of me. They need seven innings out of me. And pitchers do that because they they're not dumb. They're not gonna act like they don't know that every start is going to be big, and the reason this is such a big topic and we bring it up at the beginning of the show is because this sets the tone for everything else. This is the ripple effect. The ripple effect starts here with the starting pitching, because then you start dabbing into the bullpen. Then your bullpen gets really thin, and then even if you're in a game, uh, you just you can't stay with it because you get so many guys that are throwing so many innings out out of the bullpen. So. Um, I don't know what the move should be. Um, I mean, who knows if they decide to put Bryce Wilson in the rotation, which he's earned it. Let's be honest; he's been great. You know, maybe maybe go uh, go trade and get Brent Suter back. Throw him in the bullpen <laughs> <laughs> if the Rockies are willing to let him go. Uh, but you need you need a spark. You need something. Something has to come up, and it has to be a good one. It can't. You can't. You got to think. You got to stop patching the boat here. You can't just keep putting gum you know, on, on, in band-aids, I think it's time to sit there and say, you know what, if we're going to be serious, let's, let's go get a name and, and make something happen here because um, it's, it, who knows who comes back when, you know, and well, to get Miley and Woodruff back would be huge. That's a, a, a good point,
0: Tim, because you know, the, the, pro, the, the problem here besides just the numbers they're down is that we're not talking about 10 day absences. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, Aaron Ashby, I think just started throwing again yesterday. So he's a long ways away. Brandon Woodruff, we checked in in, uh, with in um, Tampa. And unless, Sophia, you heard anything different since then, he's still in the playing catch phase. So he's a long ways away. I mean, they talked about the end of June with him, but if he's still playing catch on May 23rd, I don't know how you're pitching at the end of June. I don't think you are, um, in the major leagues at least. Um, and, and then Wade Miley, as Sophia said, six to eight weeks, I think they're looking on the eight, you know, the long end of that. So these are significant absences that they're facing with these guys. Um, Laura was interesting. Like Sophia, I would like to hear from you more about what he had to say. Obviously I, I wasn't there and I, and I read the stories like, could he have continued pitching with this or was it at the point where they had to stop? Like that was interesting to me that with kind of the crisis that they're in all around him, um, you know, that had to be a difficult decision to like in his interest of getting right again shut down. Because like that's always what they have to juggle with these types of things is like, can you keep pitching or it's like it's like the difference between like can he physically pitch or how do we get like the best version of him that they need like the good Eric Lauer. So anyway, the the timing of this was just very interesting to me, like for this move to happen amid this other crisis of, of pitching right now.
1: Yeah. And I, I think it was both of those things because he, he essentially said that he has been pitching through it, that this, Mm -hmm. he couldn't pinpoint a time of like when this started he pointed out like he is ambidextrous. So he says, I do do a lot of things with my right arm and with my right shoulder. And the way that he explained it and Tim, you can probably follow up with a much better explanation of like pitching biomechanics here. But essentially, the way that he explained it is that when he tries to create that separation right with his glove arm and then essentially rip it back, that's when he feels the pain or the discomfort there in the non-throwing shoulder. And what he said is that the concern is that when you're feeling that, like he kind of has a dead feeling in that arm and that the concern then is you start overcompensating. And so then he'll start overcompensating with his left shoulder, arm, elbow. Right. And so then you can really compound it into a more serious issue when you're talking about your throwing arm. So he described it as something that he's essentially been pitching through he feels that it could definitely be a factor of why his velocity has been down because he feels that his pitching mechanics are all in a good place like he said you know we've tried all the other keys we thought maybe it's my lower half maybe it's something with my mechanics maybe it's something with my delivery and so this is sort of like the last piece that they're trying to evaluate which is why he wants the mri he thinks that maybe he can benefit from this time being shut down while still trying to keep that left shoulder and arm active, is what he said. So, um, Tim, maybe you can follow up with a a better explanation of, of how that happens for a pitcher. But, you know, he, I think, just said this is sort of the last piece to try to figure out why he has not been pitching like himself, why he hasn't been feeling like himself physically. Um, And we've asked these questions, right, about the velocity and the command and just why he hasn't looked like the Lauer that we saw last year.
3: Well, he just honestly just doesn't look comfortable. Mm -hmm. And when you're, you know, if it's your lead shoulder, like, yeah, you're not thrown with it, but it's your direction. You're following your lead shoulder. Pitching coaches are really big on your direction, and it all starts with your front side. If you're flying open, that's when you start having the big misses. And that's something that we were noticing. We're like, he he would paint a pitch. Or maybe one batter do really well. Next batter couldn't find the zone. And, I mean, that was that was probably what was cause for concern. Like, is this a throwing shoulder issue? And I think that's why they're trying to get it addressed. And, again, Lauer has been amazing for the Brewers. That's why we're talking about him. He's been just a, 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 a steady arm uh, the last couple seasons. So they need to figure out what it is and get him back as quickly as possible. And maybe it's a simple issue. But a good way to explain it is. Watching Garrett Mitchell after he hurt himself, and even though it wasn't his throwing arm uh, in center field, when he went to go throw that ball home, right, his lead shoulder went and, you know, ended up subluxing. You could tell that it just, that's his, that's your direction. That's where a lot of your strength comes from to kind of create that momentum of the baseball. And anyway, if you don't have that or if you don't have confidence in that, it's going to affect, you know, pretty much everything. Definitely velocity uh, is probably first, and then after that, it's going to be command.
1: Yeah, it's and and I think, you know, that's we're talking about multiple starts for all of them, right? They've they've already been without Brandon Woodruff since the first week of April. Um, Wade Miley, it's going to be six to eight weeks. And, And we don't know yet with Eric Lauer, you know, maybe hopefully it's a shorter time frame. You know, I think he's hoping for he's hoping for good news, obviously, on the MRI, that maybe it's just some inflammation or something going on internally and that he can still keep that. Left arm fairly active, still continue with his throwing program the best that he can. Um and and hopefully it's a it's a minimal time, but we don't have a clear timeline on that. So
0: did he say what he does with the other hand ambidextrously? You know, like what if he went uh throw to play darts? Would it be right handed?
1: Well he said he I asked he like he bowls right handed. He plays Really p- he plays ping pong right handed. He says I do a. He's ambidextrous, so he said I still use my right arm a lot. Like I, he said he, you know. So he said it could have happened kind of any time. He can't pinpoint like oh a specific start or something that happened uh, where this flared up for him. But maybe he it was said an axe throwing
0: but- birthday party. I want to come <laughs> up with a list of things he does. A definitive list. This sounds like a newsletter. I think we need a, a light newsletter topic coming up, or maybe. We can get him on the podcast and come up with the definitive list of things he does right-handed and left-handed. That ability like blows my mind. By
1: the way, he is like a freak athlete. We've we've talked like Chris Hook has said like he's probably one of the more athletic pitchers that they have on the staff, um, and we see that sometimes with just you know PFP and um, but yeah we'll we'll uh, we'll see what kind of athletic talents he has with that right arm. <laughs> All right guys, well we got a lot more to get to here. How about Owen Miller? We're gonna we're gonna give Owen Miller some love here for his on base streak and his hitting streak that he's had going here in May. So when we come back, we'll talk about Owen Miller and uh, another infielder who may be working his way back for the Brewers coming up next.
3: Save time and money versus going to a shop by
2: picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.
1: We're back here on Brewers Unfiltered. Sophia, Adam, and Tim here with you. And guys, one of the bright spots for the Brewers offensively and defensively, really, uh, as he's playing all over, has been Owen Miller. Unfortunately, he had his 13-game hitting streak snapped last night in Game 1 against the Astros. But... He's just been, like, Mr. Steady at the plate. Um, A long on-base streak for him, going over 20 games. And, you know, we had spent a lot of time at the early part of the season talking about Brian Anderson and how valuable he's been playing in right field and third base. And then you look up, and Owen Miller has made starts at four different positions, and now he's getting a lot of regular time over at third base just to keep his bat in the lineup. Um, What do you guys think overall of... Of what Owen has brought to the team, kind of on both sides, right? On on the offense and the defense.
0: Well, it's a little known fact that he's from Wisconsin. Uh, (laughs) He's from Fredonia, uh, which is born in in a hospital in Mequon, so just north of Milwaukee. Uh, He swings the bat. And we talked about this, Sophia, with Craig Council. It was your question um, asking sort of about the way Owen Miller gets to his hits is a little bit different. And Craig Council had like, it was really. Council really engaged on this. I think he's really interested in the fact that Owen Miller is kind of different from what we think of so many major league hitters right now, where it's uh, the it's so uh, patient and strike zone recognition is like so scientific right now. Miller is up there to swing the bat. His walk rate is 3.9%, which uh, is low. <laughs> so he gets on base by hitting his way on base. And in that way, I think he's, um, you know, sort of a, a throwback to a, a different era. And look, sometimes it's good to uh, zig when everybody else zags. That's awesome.
3: Yeah, I I think too, with a team that is notorious for working deep counts, you know, you could go around the entire uh, lineup and find guys that can work a count and get a walk. And he's he's up there to swing. And you know, it took one of the best pitchers in the league in Christian Javier to get him out and get him out of his 13 game hitting streak. But for the record, his first at bat that he crushed the dead central, uh, he hit it 102 miles an hour and it went 405 feet before he was robbed by a little old lady in a motorized cart by Myers in center. And evidently, you know, that ball was hit harder and hit further than Rowdy Telez's home run. So that's what it took to get Owen Miller <laughs> a hitless game. Uh, but he's been outstanding. You talked about the four positions that he's started. He's also played a couple innings at first and DH. So, I mean, this guy's the human Swiss Army knife. And he's playing above average at every position they put him at. He's not a liability out there. He's not just clanking balls. He's making uh, every single play. But what I love is he only had 44 at-bats in April. And then May comes around, he starts to get hot. Craig council recognizes this, right? Sometimes you just go with what you go with. Um and I think everyone's been guilty of that. Like, let's just go with this. It's worked in the past. No, he knew Owen Miller was getting hot and he knew that he needed to be out there. So that's when he started to see him move around. He already has 53 at-bats in May and there's 8 games left. And what did the, what was the reward for more playing time? Well, he's leading the team in doubles and um, I don't know. I, he's the spark plug that, that that's kept them going right now. He's been everywhere. So yeah, he's fun to watch. You know, he's going up there ready to swing.
1: Yeah. The, in the 13 game hitting streak, uh, it was 20 hits for him on that stretch, six doubles, just two homers and one walk, <laughs> <laughs> just one walk. And that was something that we did talk to Craig about. Um, and when we were in Tampa he had the streak going and only eight strikeouts in that streak as well in 51 plate appearances. So it just, he's just up there thinking contact and barrel and that's just his approach and barrel being key. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's contact and barrel and, and get on base. His on base percentage was over 400 um, during that hitting streak. And, and Craig pointed out too, that with the defense, you know, he's, Worked his way into that super utility role. And he's also getting regular playing time at positions that he has not played a lot in the major leagues, at least. Right. Like in spring training, they asked him to start getting time in the outfield. That was something he had never done in his professional career just to give him more opportunities to get in the lineup. We've seen that a couple of games. And then third base is a position that last year he only played four games at. Um, and it was like seven innings. It was like, you know, switches and it wasn't it wasn't a lot of time for him over at third base. So I think, you know, in the absence of um, Luis Arias, who is working his way back, which is we're going to talk about that as well. Um, he's just been been really steady over there.
3: What I love about right. Owen, the that one play, I just want to bring it up in, in Tampa. Um, I forgot who was up to, to bat for the Rays, but he hit a ball one hundred and nine miles an hour and Owen Miller Knowing he probably can't do anything, just dives, does a Superman, and just gets his glove just to hit it. Like just knock it down like a like a hockey goalie. Like just glove save and a butte, knocks it over to Adamus. Adamus picks it up, hoses across the infield, and boom, there's an out. That right there tells me this guy will do whatever it takes. Right? Just if you if I have to wear one in the chest, if I have to throw my glove at it, which is illegal, whatever it takes. And that's the players you want out there, the ones that are just like, I'll just sacrifice life and limb and thumb and whatever it takes. But anyway, I just thought that was a pretty amazing play that uh, we covered a little bit. But, you know, there was a lot involved in that play rather than just, oh, he knocked the ball down. I
0: like that he's gotten time with Sophia in some of the post games or pregames because he has a glorious Wisconsin accent.
3: <laughs>
0: he fits right in. So what do you think the, so Owen Miller, 3.9% walk rate among uh, big leaguers with a hundred plate appearances. What do you think is the lowest in baseball? What would be your guess? Miller is 14th lowest at 39 Oh my
1: God. I mean, is there a zero?
0: No, there is a 1.8. Oh wow. Okay.
1: Okay. I was like,
0: Philly. I Edmundo will be Sosa of the Phillies, yeah. uh, uh, shortstop third base. 1.8% walk rate, but he has a 304 on base. Owen Miller's on base is 353. Asturi uh, Ruiz, our old friend, is on this list. He He's only walked 3.7% for the A's, but his on base is 346
3: because he's hitting a bunch. And he's one of the fastest guys out there, too. Yeah, so he, he just beats all these do a little tapper. ground yeah.
0: balls. Yeah. yeah, so anyway, 1.8%. That is a uh, very low walk rate for Edmundo Sosa.
1: <laughs> well,. We did uh, talk to Craig yesterday about Luis Arias, and he could be back as soon as next week. I mean, it's it feels like a long time ago, guys, but Luis Arias was with this team on opening day <laughs> before that hamstring injury, and that's what opened the door for Joey Weimer to come up and make his debut, and he's obviously been with the team since then, but... Luis has been rehabbing in Arizona. He's been playing in some games down there this week. He's starting his rehab assignment in Nashville. He's eligible to come off on May 30th, which would line up with their series in Toronto next week. So kind of how do you think Luis fits in? And what do you think that they've been missing with, you know, the healthy, productive version of Luis Urias?
0: Well, the production is, is the thing in, in offense, you know, look, we, started the podcast talking about where they're at pitching wise <clears throat> the offense needs to kind of take its turn here this is a pitching and defense team a run prevention team but the offense is needed right now so i think it, it'll be where do you fit him in to try to get some offense going that's tricky because what bryce Tarang has given you is that just i mean incredible defense and if you uh, you know Craig Council's sessions are sometimes kind of reading between the lines. And you don't have to read very far between the lines to know that he loves having Bryce Strang at second base because of what he does defensively and the way he impacts a game. Even in an 0-4 night, he's impacting a game with what he does defensively. And Council says, I don't think we've seen a second baseman like this in Milwaukee, like, ever. Um, so... Colton Wong was very good, he says. But Bryce Terang, he puts in that category with Colton Wong at his best. So that shows you where Council thinks of what Terang does. So that that for me is the tricky part is where do you fit him in? Does it mean third base for uh, Urias and then you have Brian Anderson back and right? Um, That jumbles what you're doing in the outfield a little bit. And you're getting defense from those guys out there so i think that's going to be the the really tricky part is like when he's back you want his bat in there because especially the advanced stats show you that he is producing offensively and and it's going to be a, a challenge i think to figure out what the alignment is to get his bat back
3: in there but they they'll they'll find a way yeah like jurassic park life will find a way <laughs> now if he hits they'll find a spot for him no doubt and he may just be D and dh for a few times but They need him to hit lefties they need him to hit left-handed starters that's that's the achilles kryptonite of of what's going on with this team and for the most part and i I think he's able to do that and anytime you come back from injury these guys are they feel like they are in the best shape you know i think when they started getting production from everybody you got to realize you know what let's don't rush this thing right now the team is they're okay for now like let's don't rush this you back and then all of a sudden you get hurt again so Hopefully, you're getting a well in shape, like, you know, hungry Luis Arias ready to come and just start smashing a baseball around because a lot of times that's what you get from a guy that's, you know, missed some time and looking to make an impact when they get back. So, I mean, that's what I look for. I look forward to him coming back and just ready to swing against a lefty.
1: Well, another player that has been getting some attention here, and Adam, you. Show gave a little light here on a, a player that we should be keeping an eye on. And that's catching prospect Jefferson Caro, uh, who cracked MLB pipelines top 100. That's significant because he becomes the first Brewers catcher to make that prospect list. Um, you know, we've talked a lot about William Contreras and his athleticism and his production and, and how excited the Brewers are to have him for the foreseeable future to uh, just 25 years old, but Jefferson Caro is, is a prospect that they are just as excited about. Um, and I've talked to Charlie Green about it. They they love this kid. They think he's extremely talented. They think he's got just huge potential. But Adam, we'll start with you of just kind of your, your digging in on Jefferson Caro and, and why we should be excited about this player.
0: Well, one, 20 years old and going up crazy at double A. There there are 12 players in the Southern League that are 20 and younger, and two of them are Jefferson Caro and Jackson Turio. So <clears throat> when you are performing at a high level, meaning like in the minors at a very young age, that means you are supremely talented. I think the the thing you hear most about Caro when you talk to Charlie Green, I talked to Walker McKinvin about Caro. They had a catching mini camp in January in Phoenix with just all the catchers where they had like a week to like, just talk about catching without all the other spring training stuff going on and all the other duties that the catchers have during that time. Um, So it's a chance to really get to know them. What you hear from those guys is the way Caro commands the field. And you've heard about that now for three years. I mean, the kid was 17, 18 years old in Arizona or the Dominican complex, just commanding the field, taking control. And I think that's what impresses the Brewers instructors most is just his sort of advanced feel for that part of catching. The best catchers are the ones who are there for the pitch. Like, their job is to service the pitchers, to get the most out of the pitchers. And it seems like that is Caro's focus. And it's something, like, you have to love, I think. When When you talk to Charlie Green about it, he gets emotional. Like, he gets all animated. If anyone's seen Charlie Green on camera, like... When he gets into it, he talks about the guys who, like, love to do this. And that's the way he talks about Caro. And I've said this before, the secret to determining who are the real prospects is that when you're talking to the guys who really know them, they lower their voice, and they talk very quietly. Why do they do that? I think because they're worried, like, sc- the scouts going to be around, like, hearing, and they don't want to, like, share their secrets. You can't when hide they lower anymore. their voice and talk very seriously, you know they love the guy.
3: Yeah. So everyone's just screaming about me then? Is that what you've been saying my (laughs) whole career? (laughs) Uh, No, uh, so, you know, I reached out to a former teammate of mine, former catcher of mine, Christian Correa, who's the first base coach in Biloxi with these guys. Uh, And he's been working with Caro, you know, for a couple months now. And I I asked him, I was like, what do you see from this guy? And he was, he's like, he competes. He's got an elite throwing arm. He's receiving really well. But he spent the most time on leadership. He said, this guy you have to double check that he's 20 years old because the way he's handling the pitching staff and the way he's, like you said, commanding the field, um, being the youngest catcher in the league, and you won't know it. You wouldn't know it. You would have thought this guy was a veteran compared to Salvador Perez. This is the kind of leadership that he's giving off uh, in the best way possible. And that's something that you really can't teach. You really just have to feel comfortable in who you are as a player and, and or wait till you're 30 or 35 years old for that to actually come across. Um, but he also made a great point, uh, Correa did, talking about the Southern League is the only league where they use those pre tack baseballs. Have you heard of this? They they have these pre-tac baseballs, they pull them out of the wrapper, here it is, it's trying to make sure nobody has any foreign substance on their hands. Um, and for the most part, everybody kind of hates it, <laughs> pitchers included, uh, because some of these guys are throwing, you know, upper 90s and they can't control it, So, um, or they're spiking curveballs. but. When we're talking about the offensive side of Caro, um, he's going up against some pitches that most double-A players are not going to see. Yes, there's you know prospects and double-A teams around the league. That's, they're pitching prospects for sure. But they're also seeing like 23 inches of vertical ride that they probably wouldn't see unless they're in the big leagues. And 20 inches of, of just breaking balls in the zone. So what he's facing offensively is something you're probably not going to see till the big leagues. And he's thriving. So... 20 years old, he's handling a pitching staff, and he's hitting pitches that he normally wouldn't see until he's in the show. Um, that's a pretty good package. And he's from uh, Barquisimeto, Venezuela. Um, a lot of guys you may know from there. Manny Pina, uh, Anderson De La Rosa, both catchers. Uh, Hernan Iribaran, Gilder Rodriguez, a bunch of Brewer guys, former teammates. So this is a baseball town. This guy, he has a lot of baseball instinct.
0: Hernan Iribaran was the best ping pong player who ever played for the Brewers. Really? He used to dominate the clubhouse ping pong in spring training.
3: Hey, he was awesome. He played for like 20. He may still be playing somewhere. Like, <laughs> You're probably like right. <laughs> yeah. Ping pong or baseball?
1: I mean, we are really diving deep into Brewers history. when yeah, We're talking sorry. about best sorry, ping right. pong players in Brewers history. But, uh, yeah, Jefferson Caro is a, is a player that we're going to be keeping tabs on along with Jackson Churio, of course. So uh, very cool to see those guys be recognized just across the league. And. And we'll be keeping tabs on them uh, coming up here the rest of the season. So we got a little bit more to get to here on Brewers Unfiltered. Uh, Stick around. We'll do a little rapid round, stat of the week, and wrap it up.
0: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what?
1: We're back on Brewers Unfiltered here to wrap it up with some rapid round fun. And guys, the Houston Astros uh, feels like a long time ago. Used to be a division rival back in the day uh, before the realignment in 2012. So for the Astros, this is their first trip back to Milwaukee since 2019. So it's been a while since we've seen the Astros here at home. Any memories from the old Brewers Astros (laughs) division rivalry?
0: Tim, you
3: actually played in them. So yeah. I feel like I should defer to you. I didn't do that great. Um, <laughs> gave up a home run to Carlos Lee that hit that little train out and like almost Left outside you. the stadium. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm trying to think. One time I was running to the mound and the announcers were like, here comes Tim Dillard to the mound. He hasn't pitched in 20, looks like 21 days. And the other announcer goes, someone needs to help him find the mound. He may not know <laughs> where it is. <laughs> Those are memories. Wow, Grinky, Grinky getting tossed, right? Yeah. Second, first, second batter of the game, uh, running over to first, and uh, he gets mad, spikes the ball, gets thrown out. I was the only pitcher in the bullpen at that time, and I thought, man, I'm about to come in this game, and um, it wasn't, it wasn't me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, anyway, that's always a fun story, but I don't know. I mean, there's, it's hard to believe the Astros. It's been so long since they've been. Uh, to Miller park or uh, American family field. That's funny. The the
0: Grinky one is a super memorable because that's when he started three straight games, which is not something you see every day. Yeah. I would say mine is, well, number one, the most important is they used to have a never ending vat of fried chicken in the press box dining room that every day, Sunday morning breakfast, there'd be fried, the best fried chicken you've ever had in the press box. That was the, Best part of going to Houston. Um, that went away. Uh, <laughs> the actual one for me is that Richie Sexton homer that he hit off the flagpole when it was still in play. They had Towels Hill in center field at Minute Maid and this hill in play for, the, for you kids out there. There was a hill in center field that was in play, and then there was a flagpole on top of the hill that was in play. And Richie Sexton hit this, like, 500-footer that hit the flagpole for a triple. Um, because the flagpole was in play, so it it blocked a homer. Tim, you're making a face like you've never seen this highlight. I'm going to send it to
3: you. I Just send it to me, yeah. I mean, I'm sure I remember it. I didn't know it was a triple, though.
0: And uh, then I remember coming back to Houston later that year, and you could still see the mark from the ball on the flagpole, <laughs> <laughs> like, like months later. So that was the longest triple. It has to be the longest triple in Brewers history.
3: Well, remember they used to have a ramp of grass in center field? Remember that? Yeah, oh, the right? hill. Like, yeah, the hill. Like, I just... It seems like so long ago, but I guess it, they just got rid of that thing. I have no idea when the Astros. I go back really far with the Astros. My dad was coached in their system when I was growing up. So I spent every spring training in, in Kissimmee, Florida, and got to know a lot of those guys coming through the system, Luis Gonzalez, and got a bunch of autographs from Biggio and Bagwell and Kim and Itty and those guys. So I've always liked their, their logo. Turns out it reminds me of Taco Bell a little bit, but maybe that's why. <laughs>
1: Um. Well, after this wrap up with the Astros, that's four games against the Giants, and then hitting the road again to play the Toronto Blue Jays. First trip to Canada and to Toronto since 2017. So, Adam, you are not making the trip, correct? No. No Tim Hortons for you.
0: No, no Tim Hortons coffee. And no uh, distillery district, because that is my favorite thing to do in Toronto is to walk over to the distillery district, which has all kinds of shops and restaurants and things like that. I actually got a Seattle Pilots t-shirt there that I really like. There's like a vintage baseball store over there. Oh, and, cool. Um, yeah, I picked up a Seattle Pilots shirt in Toronto, which is a weird thing, but that's life.
1: Not in Seattle, but Toronto's still a good place to get that. Tim, are you, sure. you'll you be road tripping to Toronto?
3: I will. I will. My first time back in Canada since I think I was like 10, so hopefully hopefully I'll just blend right in with the Canuckians, but I'm looking for the poutine, the you know, gravy fries, those things. They have a place in Memphis called the Cookie Canuck um, play, and they have pretty good poutine fries, um, but I got to think that the real thing in Canada is going to be really legit. I'll just follow Jim Henderson around, wherever he goes. Uh, that's probably where the best place is going to be
1: good call we need we need to have jim henderson give us a preview
3: yeah right and gord ash will be
0: up there
1: yeah and gord ash we have our resident canadians um i'm excited i've never done a series uh, in toronto i've only been there for bucks back in the day so excited to cross that stadium off the list and are you uh, going to go
0: up the cn tower
1: yeah we might why not?
0: The fun fact we learned when we were in Seattle was that the s- the CN Tower is three times taller than the Space Needle. Really? Yeah. And it and it's I was no that can't be true. And we looked it up. It's true.
1: Three times?
0: Yes. That's a wow. S- now you have to go up.
1: Now I have to go. I mean, there's I'm, some
0: rides up there. You can like get strapped in a harness and like hang off the edge of the top.
1: Sounds like a good adventure for Tim. I'm sure he can, I'm sure Tim, I'm sure Tim can come up with a great video for that. Yeah,
0: Ooh. I'm scared of heights. No, it, I, It'll be like the uh, Mission Impossible music. That would be a great video.
1: Yeah. good. Tim, you've got That's time good. to think about this. Tim and, and Jim Henderson
0: can... <laughs> up on top, strapped yeah. into harnesses.
1: <laughs> Tim and Jim Henderson followed by some poutine. It should be great. Well, uh, I can't wait for the recap of that on next week's Brewers Unfiltered. Um, but... Um, okay. So yeah, we're, we're going to Toronto. That will be fun. We'll see the blue Jays. Uh, last call here, guys, stat of the week, Adam, I know you thoroughly researched yours. So why don't you start?
0: Okay. I think that this is the time for the Brewers offense to drive the bus to borrow the Craig councilism that I think we say on every podcast at this point, runs per game for the Brewers in April, 457 tied for 14th in baseball, middle of the pack. That'll play when you're a run prevention team with with at that time, great, I mean, still great defense and a team built around a fantastic starting rotation. Now the starting rotation cracking a little bit because of injuries, but the offense has come down a lot as well. So my set of the week is 1.04. That's how many fewer runs per game the Brewers are scoring in May. 3.53. They're 26th in baseball in runs per game. So It's a bad time for some of these issues against left-handers to manifest. That's been a part of it. We're seeing teams throw lefties at the Brewers, lots of them. And I think it's uh, just time for the offense to do its thing and try to keep this ship afloat throughout the month of June until they can get some of these guys back healthy.
3: I was gonna have a stat of the week. That one's really in-depth. But I did write down one little stat from last night that I just thought was kind of strange. It doesn't really mean anything. I don't really know how to look into it. But Christian Javier versus Corbin Burns, the first 44 batters that went to the plate. Only three balls were hit on the ground. I don't know. I mean, it just seems outrageous. Everybody was either, you know, a hit to the outfield or a home run, a walk, a strikeout, or a pop-up. Just pop-ups galore. Um, 12 of those outs, I think, were by the air. So, anyway, just thought that was... Kind of strange, especially coming off a game where Corbin Burns got a lot of ground ball outs uh, and gave up even a couple of ground ball hits. So I, I don't know. It just, there was a lot of pitches up in the zone, a lot of hittable pitches. And for whatever reason, you know, it's it's always better to live via the ground because you're flirting with disaster if uh, the ball's in the air.
1: My stat here will be the number 11. And just as we continue uh, the series against the Astros here, and then we talked about the Blue Jays series next week, 11 is the number of wins that they have against interleague teams. Um, So, I don't know. That's just interesting to me, this balanced schedule. I think we're all kind of curious to see how it shakes out of just seeing every team once, fewer series against division opponents Um, since they dropped the series against St. Louis. it's, It's just kind of crazy to think that we're here at almost Memorial Day, and the Brewers have only have had three series against division opponents. Six of those games have get, come against the Cardinals. They've gone three and three. They won the opening series against the Cubs, two to one. So they're five and four in the division, but they're 11 and eight in interleague. And, you know, we had that long stretch where it was like all American League teams. So I don't know. I just think it's interesting um, that we're getting, you know, the first look at some of these teams. And they're they're holding their own. They're, they're three games above 500. And. That's going to all of these wins, right, count the same at the end. So it's just kind of interesting to me that how this schedule has has gone so far.
3: And there must be something to it, too, because Rowdy Telez has 12 home runs now, and they're all against non-divisional opponents. Of course, it may just be because they're not facing them that much. But something plays with this balanced schedule now. Teams are playing teams that they don't really have maybe the best scouting report going up against them. That can work both ways. But for the most part, the Brewers have been doing pretty well. We finally see the
0: Reds next week, right? We get to go, they play an early game because there's a Zach Brown Band concert after. So Tim, you'll be there, right, in Cincy? Yeah, you're going to be there, right? Yeah, five o'clock first pitch for the for the series opener, which is super weird, but it's because there's a charity concert after the game so we can hang out and listen to some chicken fried.
1: See, it Maybe all comes, comes back, back to chicken, chicken fried. You, you were talking about you missing your chicken fried with the Astros rivalry, and now it all circles back. To fried chicken and Zach Brown band.
0: <laughs> Todd Rosiak and I went to dinner in Tampa. My flight was at like pff, midnight or something on Sunday night, and uh, we went to <laughs> we went to P.F. Chang's, a good local eatery in Tampa. And I was mad at myself for not getting those delicious little like honey chicken, those fried. I thought, oh, it's too late. I don't want to sit on the plane eating all that fried chicken, and I regretted it Three, two days later. I'm still regretting that decision, so that's why I'm talking about fried chicken. I'm hungry.
1: On that note. <laughs> 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 All right, guys. Well, that that is a wrap for episode 11 here of Brewers Unfiltered. It's going to be a busy week here. The Brewers continue their series against the Astros, and then it's four games against the Giants before we hit the road on Memorial Day for the singing of O Canada at the Rogers Center in Toronto. So thanks for listening, Sophia, Adam, and Tim. Make sure you're following at Brewers on all the appropriate social platforms, and we'll chat with you next week on Brewers Unfiltered.
2: Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best